You are listening to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Today, we're going to be talking about Percy Aldrich Granger, one of the most well-known composers of his time. Percy Aldrich Granger was born in 1882 in Melbourne, Australia, one of the few composers that we really hear of from that part of the world. He spent his early childhood in that area. Now, he was homeschooled by his mother, who is a lifelong lover of all things art and literature, and it's said that she inspired his own love of the arts. His mother influenced his life in many ways, but this love of arts is one of the ones where, of course, we see him in the public eye. He also gained a sort of fantastic view of his life from a love of classic legends, like stories of Camelot, of slaying dragons, He said once himself that the Icelandic saga of Grettir the Strong was, quote, the strongest single artistic influence on his life. Now, musically, he received lessons from several tutors in various subjects, and he made his piano debut when he was 13. People were very impressed with his performance, uh, little Percy the Prodigy, (laughs) and raised funds with a benefit concert to send him to the Hoch Conservatory in Germany to further his musical education. Now, this time, many, many young composers were being shipped off to Hawk to learn music, and Granger made many of his lifelong friends with English composers while he was there. In 1901, when he finished his education at the conservatory, he, instead of going back to Australia, moved with his mother to England and stayed there from 1901 to 1914. During this time, he primarily gave piano lessons and was a prolific piano performer during this time. He performed brilliantly both the works from the standard repertoire, so things from Bach and Beethoven, etc., as well as his own original compositions. He also spent a good deal of time collecting and arranging English folk songs. During this time period, while he lived in England, many of his iconic works were arranged based on these English folk songs such as Handel in the Strand and Molly on the Shore. Now, in the past few episodes of The Coffee House, we've been talking a lot about Germanic tradition and Germanic Western music in the style of, you know, Beethoven, Brahms, Dvorak, all those great people, and how a lot of these composers purposefully sought to incorporate cultural aspects of their home nations into their music. Um, so this whole trend is all about European nationalism. The late 1800s and early 1900s were incredibly tumultuous for Europe politically, because at the beginning of this period, Bismarck in Germany had unified Germany into one nation from many, many separate territories. And because of this, the rise of the German and Prussian Empire was paramount, and it was becoming this amazing, massive, powerful nation And of course, at the end of this era, in 1914, we encounter the tumultuous, monumental world wars of the 20th century. So, how does nationalism and music really fit together? Well, nationalism gives people faith in their nation, um, and by extension, 
their nation's cause, uh, unifying these people across religious, across ethnic boundaries into the nation of Germany, of France, of Italy, of England. If the culture of a nation was something to be proud of, then it was, therefore, worth fighting for. And then one way to promote a national culture was through music. And that's why we see so much nationalism and nationalistic music from almost every country and region, especially in Europe, during this time period. And so obviously Granger was very interested in this nationalistic movement with his research in folk songs. However, it kind of hypocritically almost, when World War I began, he moved from England to the United States and actually became an American citizen in 1918. I mean, I might move out of a war zone <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if I had the choice. Many of his British friends did feel that he was abandoning their country, but he claimed that it was really for the benefit of his mother. While he was in America, he did continue writing his English folk song arrangements and compositions. He definitely wasn't shunning his country. He held a lot of jobs while he was in America, including being a saxophonist and an oboist in an army band for a couple years, and he created piano rolls and gramophone recordings of his own music while publishing compositions as well. He also continued on as a piano soloist during this time, frequently playing Country Gardens, one of his most famous little short piano jaunts <laughs> as his encore. Now, in 1919, he was actually offered a conductorship of the St. Louis Symphony, but he declined because he wanted to continue being a performer. And he also taught during this time at very various music schools in New York and Chicago. But while he was so busy, he still had found time to head out on merry holidays, uh, things that he would call folk song collects, where his goal was to find and record folk songs from a number of countries, namely England, Australia, and Denmark, and Denmark being the inspiration for his suite on Danish folk songs. Of course, his own nationalism, of course, didn't uh, keep him from learning about other nations as well, even though we think of a lot of his English folk song stuff, uh, Molly on the Shore, of course, being one of his most famous coming out of Irish reels and folk songs from that area. Uh, but while he was in Denmark, while he learned about all this stuff, he also met Grieg and Dalius who were two composers for whom he had the utmost respect. By the 1930s, Granger was a really respected composer, and he had some really modern tendencies in his compositions that kind of makes it surprising that he was so popular. He really embraced new trends in his classical music, and was a proponent of incorporating jazz into the standard repertoire that would be taught at music conservatories. So while he was involved in running the New York University Music Department, he actually promoted his jazz ideas by bringing Duke Ellington's Cotton Club Band to campus. And that was one of the first times that jazz was really talked about in an educational setting. During a radio interview, he described his view of music, which he termed free music, as a means of liberating music from all its traditional constraints of scale, beat, harmony, and predetermined expression. Even though novel harmonies, rhythms, and expression are heard throughout his output, his really ideal free music was what he described to be more of like an interface between mechanical instruments and human input 
and he was actually one of the first proponents of use of the theremin. Oh, really? Yeah. And despite his constant thinking about this mechanical instrumentation, he actually started inventing some mechanical instruments, but he never got to see any of them working during his lifetime. You know, thinking of that, I'd really like to see what Granger might think of modern trends of like electronic music and popular music created by like synthesizers. I think he'd love it. Yeah, it seems like he might. Now, this sort of novelness and forward thinking can be heard in a lot of his compositions. Uh, simply put, they sounded modern. But despite this modern sound, Granger thought that he, quote, did not feel like a modern person at all due to his fondness for folk tales and folk songs. And indeed, Granger's music is a really amazing blend of both the old in the folk songs that he is inspired by in quotes in his compositions and the new in the harmonies and rhythmic complexity that he puts into his performances. Now, by the 1940s, Granger was very much so back to his piano performance and touring. And during World War II, he frequently performed concerts for wounded veterans, and he continued to compose and teach and perform, really, until his death from cancer in 1961. During the 40s, he was quite excited about his musical output, and his life, really. And so he came up with the idea to construct a Granger Museum in honor of himself in Melbourne. And so he came up with a lot of artifacts from his youth and preliminary scores and sketches of his music. And this museum actually does now exist in Melbourne. But it's very interesting that he directed the building of it and it was finished during his lifetime. So as he got on in years, despite continuing to work in music, he became disgruntled as he felt that his ideal of free music was gradually slipping away and that his sense of originality was gradually decreasing. And he felt that he was producing things that were quite worthy of the term free music any longer. He unfortunately described his entire life's work as a failure, saying, quote, I have never been a true musician or true artist. However, myself, and I'm sure Allison, as well as all of his contemporaries, disagreed, and we all find much value in both his piano performances and his compositions. And actually, because of his earlier piano role creations, now these are piano roles for player pianos, uh, he appeared posthumously in the BBC Proms as the piano soloist in Grieg's Piano Concerto. <laughs> so the... <laughs> So the recordings he made during his lifetime actually still survived and have been saved from posterity. That's actually really interesting. This player piano playing Granger, not just like a recording, because it's actually playing something by him. It's exactly the phrasing that he wanted, and it slows down, speeds up exactly where he wants. So mm -hmm. it's really quite as though he were there. And I, I just think that's that's so very different from just a recording mm -hmm. of Granger playing that, for example. It's very special. Yes. So this has been our discussion of Percy Granger here on episode 9 of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you join us again next time. Granger's Molly on the Shore, the Marching Song of Democracy, and Children's March were performed by the United States Marine Band, conducted by John Bourgeois or Lieutenant Colonel Dale L. Harfin. 
For further listening to explore more about Percy Granger, we suggest any U.S. military band recordings of Granger's Gumsuckers March, Lincolnshire Posey, Country Gardens, or The Lonely Desert Man Sees the Tents of Happy Tribes. You can find The Coffeehouse on iTunes and Google Play. Like us on Facebook to share episodes with your friends, and email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.